Jeremy is getting ready to read to you a passage of Scripture that I selected intentionally for today because of what happened last Sunday. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. You see the fire and the flowing of the air and symbolizing the Spirit, even as we come into this worship. Last Sunday, we talked about Pentecost as we discovered in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and the disciples became more than just a group of believers, they became the church. In Acts 3, we see what happened coming out of that Pentecost experience when two followers of Jesus, now blessed by the power of the Holy Spirit, are going through a regular activity. They had participated in time and time again, but now everything was different because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I invite you to listen to Jeremy as he shares with you from Acts 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intentionally at him, as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have to give you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he told him, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jeremy. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, it is humbly and with great joy that we come to this moment. Young lives who have their entire futures laid out in front of them, who are surrounded by families who just want to lavish them with love. That is true for all of us today. Our future is laid out in front of us. No matter how long or short it may be, tomorrow is ours because you've given it to us. And we sit in a family of faith that wants to lavish its love upon us, each and every one of us. So help us find your spirit and the path that we are called to walk, so that our today will make tomorrow better for all. In your name we pray. Amen. So let me ask you this question. What would you ask for right now from God to make your tomorrow better? If you think about tomorrow as literally the 24 hours after this one, or if you think about tomorrow as the next few months or your future laid out in front of you, however you define that, let me ask you again. What would you ask from God to make your tomorrow better. Think about that. 
baptized families and parents in particular, what would you ask for from God to make your tomorrow better? You've just brought your children. You've, you've placed your family here intentionally into the hands of God. What would you ask for from God? What would you ask for? Anything? Can you think of something? Health, of course. What parent doesn't come to this moment and pray, God, if nothing else isn't the truth, let me make sure that my child has health. Of course. What else would you ask for? World peace. You'd ask for peace. Man, we come to these moments, and we want so much for our children. I know that because you've decided not to raise your children just according to your own abilities or even by the love of these amazing families. Today, you've basically given your children to God to give them this grace opportunity for tomorrow, right? So what would you ask for from God? Now, as you think about the answer to that question, I want you to understand that in the Scripture today, that's exactly what's going on. There's a man, he's described in an interesting way, he's the lame man beside the gate going into the temple. That's how we know of him. We know that this was a pattern for his entire life. There were even friends of his who would regularly carry him and lay him in front of the entrance, the going in, the going out, out on the front porch, if you will, going into the sanctuary. This is what he did. This was not a unique moment for him, nor for the people who were going in and out of the sanctuary. They were used to seeing him. And in seeing him, folks were not put off by him. Because in Judaism, there's a very strong tradition, a very strong understanding that there's a real relationship between the faithful and those who are needy in their midst. Jewish scripture that would have been the foundation for this man and for those walking by him taught that we were called to treat those who were needy as our brother and our sister. Scripture was very clear. There was a relationship that was intentionally established for those of the faith to reach out and care, not out of pity nor judgment, but out of relationship to relate to the fact that the poor the needy were called to be incorporated into the community with intentionality. There was this understanding that our whole being is found in the health of our community. My health is never better than the health of my community. And if I see somebody in a community who's in need... I help that person, according to Jewish scripture, because it adds to the health of the whole. There's a rabbinical uh, story. Um, There were a group of people in a boat, and they were out in the middle of this great, great, great sized lake. And one of the passengers takes a drill and starts drilling through the bottom of the boat, making a hole. And the rest of the passengers scream out, what are you doing? Stop! You can't do that! And the passenger responds, I'm only making a hole underneath my seat. Well, the rest of the passengers understood there is no way his action was a solo action. It was going to have implications for everybody. 
And conversely, if there was anybody in your boat who had a hole under their seat, you were not to ignore it. You were called to care, understanding that caring for them was caring for the broader community. And so my point is, as Peter and John walk in and out of this temple, as they had been doing all of their lives, they pass this lame man lying there by the door. And it is extremely likely, highly probable, that they knew each other, or at least were aware of each other. It is quite likely that Peter and John probably knew the man's name, not just as that lame guy by the gate. And it's really possible that they had given him alms before, because that's how the man could make sure his tomorrow was possible. There was no safety net, no social security, no pension, 401 or whatever. His livelihood depended on the compassion of the broader community. So this day is very much like other days. Except, Peter and John had just experienced Pentecost. They were disciples of Jesus Christ, trying to figure out how to live in their life what he had taught by word and example. And now they had received the power of the Holy Spirit, which made of their beliefs a power and a presence in their heart and going through their body. It was changing their understanding that they had more than just to think about Jesus or pray to Jesus or want to be like Jesus. They were called to do the work of Jesus in the world because now they had the power to do it. So they came past this guy who looks up and sees probably guys who had given him some money before. So he asked for alms with real expectation. But you know how it is if you do that all the time. You make the ask, and then you're looking for who's coming next. I mean, this was a regular occurrence in his life, so to ask and to receive, he would have been expecting to receive as he's looking for the next person to ask from. Nothing wrong with that. Have you ever been preoccupied? You forget who you're talking to because you're looking to somebody else. Amen? Happens all the time in Kroger. So, my guess is he'd ask for alms, and he was expecting, you know, the normal denarii or whatever the gift would have been, and he's looking beyond, and, and Peter says, hey, 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 wait a minute, look at me. Because this isn't just any other day. This became personal. This became intimate. Look at me. So the man draws his attention back to Peter and John. And they say this to him. Listen, I don't have any money. But what I do have, I want to give you. Now, here's, here's the truth of this moment, if I can just help us with this for a second. We have to be honest about the economics of our life. What do you have and what don't you have? You have to take a look at where you're living. You have to take a look at what your capacity is, what your resources are, and evaluate them honestly according to how God sees them. See, for so many of us, we look in our life and we can see what we don't have, and that paralyzes us. 
We look at what's so minimal. We look at our fears. We, we look at our empty pockets and we, and we want, oh, we don't have anything. Or we look at our faith and we think, well, we don't have much. We don't know much. And we stop there. Well, you have to be honest about what you have or don't have. You know, the truth is, if all of us would become honest right now about what we do not have in our faith, I don't know how to pray with the power that I long for. I don't know Scripture. I've been faking it for years. I don't know, I don't know how to love unconditionally. I don't know how to forgive or whatever it is that we have in our life that we don't have, we need to become honest about that. Because only in becoming honest about that can you lay it out there in front of God. It's like we're trying to play hide-and-seek with God. Oh, I don't want God to know these things. Really? Who are you fooling? So by naming it and claiming it, you're just becoming honest with God. Peter and John say, we don't have any money. We're preachers. What are you talking about? What I do have, I want to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. The only thing they had, they didn't know everything about Jesus Christ. They didn't. They weren't the mature disciples we see at the end of Acts. They were still fledgling, trying to figure it out. They knew they had Jesus, as they offered Jesus, trusting that somehow that same Holy Spirit that overwhelmed them just a few weeks before would act now, and it did. The man is healed, but not in isolation, not lying there, and Peter and John go, okay, good, see you later. Reaches out, grabs him by the hand, and pulls him up. to equal status, standing with each other. Now, I want to be honest with you right now. This is the part of the story I confess I don't have. I want to be honest with you right now. This is the part of the passage I struggle with. Don't I wish that I could look at you and you and you and a number of you in this room right now as I'm sitting here looking out at you and saying, I wish I could just say to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, be set free of your illness. God, you don't know how much I wish I could do that. But I can't. Or at least, I've never had the results of this Bible passage. But, but, that's me trying to, just, to control what happens when I offer the gift, you see? Because all I really have to offer you is Jesus Christ. And maybe when I reach out to you in doing so, you're not going to leap up from being lame or get out of the bed with no more heart issues or walk cancer-free. Maybe that's not going to happen. But I have come to believe that when I offer the name of Jesus Christ to others, genuinely, without me trying to control it, there's a power that is released and change happens. I'm going to tell you that's true. Have any of you in this room ever experienced that? Yes, you have. I know you have. Because I've been there with a number of you when it's happened. And he stands up, and together, what do they do next? 
They walk together in to worship. Equals. Emancipated, set free, empowered, blessed to walk in. Because when the power of God moves in your life, it's not a snatch and grab. It's a receive and live in joy. Reveal to others. And what happens when they go into the room? Amazement and wonder fills the room. The healing that happened that day was not limited to a man by the side of the road. It transformed the community of faith. The healing of this man changed the entire experience of worship that day in the temple. You can believe that. It changed the relationship between Peter and John and this man by the side of the road who is never again going to be a man by the side of the road. Remember I asked you at the beginning of this service, what would you ask of God to make your tomorrow better? This story ends with a different question. With the belief that Jesus Christ actually is in this room and is in your life, whether you know it or not, here's the the next question. What gift will you now give because of Jesus Christ? Peter and John gave the only thing they had, I give you Jesus Christ. And they didn't know what was going to happen. What gift will you give to make your tomorrow better? So oftentimes we sit around hoping someone else will make our tomorrow better. If I could just get this, my tomorrow would be better. If someone else would just do this for me, tomorrow would be better. But the reality is, God says, it's not about someone else making your tomorrow better. It's about the decisions of the gifts you give to the people in your life right now that will determine the future of your tomorrow. Maris and Brooklyn. There isn't anything every one of us in this room would not do to give you whatever you need. These people would lay down their lives for you and they would not think about it, right? In a heartbeat. But what we want you to become are young women who based on that truth become disciples of Jesus who look at their tomorrows and say, what do I have to give to make the world better for myself and for others? What faith will you have? What talents do you have possessed within you we're yet to discover? What gift can I give so that someone else can stand up and praise God? and be welcomed as they are for who they are into a family of faith, into a relationship with God, into a tomorrow with promise. What gift will you give? This story is not a cute story after Pentecost. It is the story that will determine our tomorrow. What are you willing to ask of God? 
And then in the truth of that honesty, what will you give for the sake of others in the name of God? That's what makes tomorrow possible. That's what brings others up into a new day. And that's what will change your life. Maris's life. Brooklyn's life. I'm sorry, Brooklyn. I'm sorry. And Maris's life. And there's nothing more we want than for your life and your life to experience that. Amen. Thank you.